Recorded live in Manhattan's East Village at St. Mark's Church in the Bowery, this is The Poetry Project. Parish Hall, as always. Paul Blackburn, we think of him as our pre-spirit, our progenitor, and he gave the first official reading here in this room 50 years ago on September 22nd, 1966. Um, and we will conclude this reading, for those of you who have a program know, with uh, listening to him, a recording from him reading three poems. So we'll, we'll conclude with his voice, his words. Um, his poetry translations and organization and recording of early downtown readings in this room and elsewhere exerted a steady and widespread influence across a wide range of aesthetic practices. In his lifetime, he published 13 books of original poetry, as well as five major works of translation. Twelve other books were published posthumously, and uh, Edie Jarlam did heroic work editing the collected poems of Paul Blackburn in 1985 and the selected in 1989. They're both still available from Persea. And um, excitingly, I found out that a reprint of Proenza, an anthology of troubadour poetry, is due out from New York Review of Books this year. Um, I think Laura pretty much covered the giant night events. Uh, just to say a little bit more about Paul Blackburn, he was a relentless questioner of form, of what were fit subjects for poetry, and of course, he had one of the best ears in all of poetry. His legacy also includes his work in what Anne Waldman would call infrastructure poetics, organizing readings, hosting radio programs with and for poets, and assiduous use of his tape recorder. His archival impulse, no doubt, is the reason that the project recorded every reading from its beginning and now has an archive of over 4,000 hours of audio that resides in the Library of Congress in Washington, DC. <clears throat> so all of the qualities that I just mentioned about Paul Blackburn are qualities that form an ethos that the Poetry Project continues to value in its effort to be a home for poets, uh, hopefully for the next half century as well. Um, we have a big, we have a giant uh, roster <laughs> this evening. It is very giant. Um, there's been a slight change to the order for those of you looking at programs. Uh, George and Rochelle are going to go after me, but for those who are reading, please announce the name of the next reader, Poetry Project House Style. Um, since I'm a reader, I thought I'd just do it while I'm standing here. So I am first, and this is a poem from the journals called Gin. Clear objects, the clear objections, the gulls float through the yard, the wall Paper is stained. Sections are pure cretin liner B. I fled New York somehow. It's all hers now and cold. Amsterdam is full of sun. It falls a slant, ten buildings in the next street. I can see from my window the Dutch believe in large windows. It is exactly the width of the room, a long, narrow Van Gogh room, even the skinny bed in the right position. Except the canal is at the front of the hotel, so the room faces what I would call the wrong direction. Black roofs and red roofs, tile, while 
blackbirds in the shadowed backyard hop through bright yellow leaves or flap between the lower branches. An enormous gull just swooped through the yards leisurely. The canal at the front of the hotel, go to it, read the cards. Even with the sunlight, I am lightly depressed. Photo, September 18th, the boat train, Le Havre to Paris, Joan confronts the French landscape, the gold locket, her tooth marks in it, good, tight lens on that camera, blue dress, blue landscape blurred. Oh shit, I left my heart in the seventh arrondissement, a good bit south of here, apparently. Forget it, I've left my heart everywhere. Walk around collecting bits and shards. Gil, how do you keep such a unified vision of your own lives and parts? I like trains or planes, boats or goats. Gull flies through the backyard one way, crosses pigeon flying through the other. Damn, this gin is good. Please welcome George Ekonamu. Thank you, Stacey. Thank you, Poetry Project, for creating this wonderful occasion. Long waited for. I'd just like to add that for those of you that love the book Proenza, I, I edited it uh, and uh, came out from University of California Press. Then it was uh, reprinted and uh, my age prevents me from recalling the name of the publisher that reprinted it, but it is coming out in a, a, a second reprint, third edition from New York Review of Books Books. So if you don't have it, get it. I'm going to read the first poem of Paul Blackburn's that I ever read. And it's a poem that I also heard him read at the first time I ever went to a reading of his. And I also read it right here uh, at the memorial reading for him after he passed away in 1971. The poem is entitled Cervantes. A Cervantes is a Provencal form of poem. It looks like a love song, a canso, but it's anything but. It's a satirical attack on political, moral, evils, personal uh, gripes, whatever. In Paul's own words, he says, as long as it was not a love song and the singer was bugged about something. Okay, here is. I have made a Cervantes against the city of Toulouse and it cost me plenty of garlic. And if I have a brother, say, or a cousin or a second cousin, I'll tell him to stay out too. As for me, Henri, I'd rather be in España pegging Pernod through a pajita or Yagreli Naluk, Yalamput and Yugoslavia, jowls wide and yowls not permitted to emerge or even in emergency, slopping Slivovica through the Brolg in the Luk. I mean I'm not particular. 
but to be in the Midi now that the rain is here, to be sitting in Toulouse for another year, the slop tapping in the court, to stop typing just at 10, and the wet rot setting in, and the price is always plus. I mean, please, must I? <laughs> Whole damn year teaching trifles to these trout with trousers, tramping through the damp with gout up to my gut, taking all the guffs. Sweet Jesus, crypt God of the Hebrews, she blows at balls and boses by doses stuffed by the balls of the livid savior, lead me back into Egypt land before I can for indisciplinary reasons. <laughs> oh God, the hallowed halls, the ivy-covered walls, the fishwife calls, and the rain falls. Bastal, Jove, God of tourists, the whores in Barcelona are beautiful, you would understand. Weren't there Europa and Io and Aegina, twin sister of Phoebe, both daughters of Aesopus, and Maya and Antiope and Niobe of the Thebans, eagle and bull, beaver, flame, otter, how not? Remember Leda? I swan you never felt old. Your shower of rain at least was a shower of gold. A gentle white bull with dewlaps. The bulls in Barcelona are beautiful, Jove need no persuasion, are themselves as brave. My old Guillaume, who once stole this town thinking your wife's name enough reason to, Saint Julian, patron of travelers, me de merci. Who else invoke? Who else to save a damned poet impaled by a better rave? Mercury. Post of heaven, you old thief, deliver me from this ravel-streeted, louse-ridden, down-river, gutter-sniping, rant-gouching, hard-hearted, complacent provincial town where they have forgotten all that made the country the belly of courage, the body of beauty, the hands of heresy, the leg of the individual spirit, the heart of song. That mad Vidal would spit on it that I, as his maddened double do, too changed, too changed, O oh, deranged master of song, master of the viol and the lute, master of those sounds, I join you in public madness in the street I piss on French politesse that has racked all passion from the sound of speech. A leech that sucks the blood is less a lesion. Speech, this imposed, imposing, imported courtliness that the more you hear it, the more it's meaningless and without feeling. The peel is off the grape and there's not much left, and what is left is soured, if clean. If I go off my beam, some small vengeance would be sweet, something definite and neat, say total destruction. <laughs> Jove, Father, cast your bolts, and down these bourgeois dolts, Raise a wave, a glaive of light, Poseidon, inundate this fish bait. Hermes, keep my song from the dull rhythm of rain. Apollo, hurl your darts, cleanse these abysmal farts out from this dripping cave in the name of love.
I have an, I have an assignment to, to read something to you from Robert Kelly, uh, who could not be here tonight. Uh, he and I founded Trobar Magazine and Trobar Books, and uh, we did publish a wonderful book of Paul's called The Nets. So Robert Kelly writes to all of us tonight. Paul was my great teacher and I owe him more than I can easily say since every year I discover some new fact or capacity I owe to him. What he taught me above all was how to find and express the music of the poem, Line Space Silence. He would famously record his own poems and listen to them carefully to get the notation right, to get onto the page a mirror of his sound. Notation. He, as much as Duncan, cared for the precise registration of the sound, speed, pause, rush of language on the page. His poems are scores, and if he taught nothing else, he taught us music. But his delight in the vernacular, his careful observation of people, his sense of the poem, especially in the late work in the journals, but really all through the years, amount to a consecration, continuous as may be, of the life around him. His translations were fantastic. Medieval troubadours and Latin American magicians come alive in the insistent colloquial dignity of his language. And me, well, he welcomed me into the world of poetry. Let me trail along with my betters. He read my poems and gave me from time to time that sweet, haunting, half-skeptical smile I find myself weeping to remember. Thank you, Paul. Robert Kelly. The next reader will be Rochelle Owens. I'm very, very happy to be here. Uh, it brings back a deja vu, uh, incredible uh, dreamlike effect because I was here so many years ago and I'm, now I'm back. And over the years, I was very happy to give readings here. Okay, Paul's radiance and sense of empathy for a young poet was amazing. He would just sit in a room opposite or near you and sometimes chuckling, sometimes saying a few words. And you just felt that there was a wise and kind and affirmative person who was nurturing your uh, emerging fledgling poet soul. Uh, he had a great sense of humor and a sense of subtle irony. And he, he had a, an amazing effect on my sense of what poetry is and just general friendship, which was quite beautiful. Uh, the year that Paul died was 1971, and there was a prison uprising in Attica, New York. And I was in the middle of writing a long poem, and a, a section came out of just discovering that Paul had died. And I was, and this Attica uprising upstate New York was happening. And so this is section two from this longer poem. 
Paul Blackburn's dead. My eyes are red from crying. Attica, scattica, attica, scattica. The hurricanes over New York. The cape is so gloomy. The sunset drops a weak, sweet hand over the black criminals of Attica, Scattica. Pack the rats up, drink the last drop of pain. The poem of Paul's that I'm going to read, I'm going to read two poems. Uh, the first one is El Camino Verde. The green road lies this way. I take the road of sand. One way the sun burns hottest. No relief. The other sun, the same, is filtered through leaves that cast obscene beautiful patterns on roads and walls and the wind blows all day hot sirocco a chain of hot wind rattles across high over the mountains rushes down from the peaks to the sea leaving laving leaving, laving men's bodies in the fields between days when the serpent of wind plucks and twists the harp of the sun. In the green road, pale green of olives, olive wood twisted under the burning wind, the wet heat of an armpit, but in the mouth, this other road, and the dry heat of the mouth is the pitiful possibility of finding a flower in the dust, a pitiful possibility. Sanity, see there the white wing of a gull over blindness of water, the blank Black wing of a hawk over stretches of forest. Wish to hold the mind clear in the dark honey of evening light. Think of a spring in an orchard, in flower, in soft sun amid ruins down there, down there, down there the serpent hidden among sweet-smelling herbs. Down there, a small palm offers its leaves to the wind. On the mountain, olive, oh, live wood, its flawless curve hangs from the slope. Hot Sirocco covers everything and everyone all day. It blows all day as if this were choice as if the earth were anything else but what it is, a hell. 
but blind, bland, blend the flesh. Mix the naked foot with the sand that caresses it. Mix with the rock that tears it. Enter the hot world. Cave of the winds? What cave? What cave? The reaches of Africa, where an actual measure exists. The, the final poem that I will read. Una canso ai affetta mortemen. One canzo I've made murderously, so much so I, I don't know how I did it. Evening, morning, day or night, I am not master of my thought, less of my heart. Another time when great incertitudes were in the balance pan, there came to me from love so overwhelming a proof of my luck. I began to make a canzo on the spot. It went like that. But why keep me in such a confusion? She must know that nothing ever pleased me so much from that first hour, the first touch. I could not split my heart my love, my mind, away from what I'd found. So that now, if she harms me, it's bound to be a disaster for me. But if she gave me token of accord and, and friendship, then it's certain she couldn't offer greater grace or mercy. But if she need a reason to be right, let it be that her love sustains me. But I don't believe at all, I don't believe at all in her desire, though she speak and smile and make me promises. No woman ever lied more agreeably or with such cleverness. But I can't help believing when she speaks on such peak of ecstasy, her words put me. But if she speak truth, not France and I, the king of all, would make me feel so happy and peaceful. But no, she has no heart or goodwill in the wrangle. No one ever loved so crazily. Not even he, the squire who died at table. I also die, but me she kills more slowly. And she knows to do it courteously. She does not strike with lance or cut with knife, but with soft words and pleasant seeming welcome. There you have the weapons she fights me with, has, ever since I've known her, and will still if, if she keeps me on. 
To complete the inventory of her arsenal, I can't forget beauty, God-given entirely. Nor has he taken one whit from her intelligence, perfect, perfectly sincere and always gay. I get this way. I get this way because she does not permit me her love. Yet they say one can get fresh water from the sea, which gives me hope that genius say and mind and the fact that she does not reject me wholly will find me joy someday. Nothing else can quell or allay this fire. Thank you. Thank you. I am very happy to introduce Martha King, who I've known for many, many years, who's not only an extraordinary poet, but probably one of the most enthusiastic people who encourage art and the delight of art to flourish. Thank you, Martha. Rochelle's been reading from Paul's translations of Pierre Vidal, a, a Provençal poet who was devoted to the romance of love, but nobody ever translated anything, least of all Paul Blackburn, without actually sort of channeling that person. And so this is, this is Paul, although it's Pierre Vidal, and it's a love poem, and uh, <coughs> he was a lover. For a long time I was bitter, but now am happier than bird in rain or fish in water, for my lady has sent me a note to tell me, act like a man, a lover and I never thought to have her return me to hope again. God knows I can't be happy unless I return quickly to that soft cage her beauty has put me in. There it's all softness, warm, joy, everything courteous. Take everything I possess, plow it under, only to do her pleasure. So good to look upon the way she's fashioned, her love-shooting eyes I don't know what I'm doing or where I am. She's got me seized, won, conquered, taken, tie me down, and that I cannot turn left, right, or away, my love or eyes. And I have to do, and all, all, excuse me, all I have to do is see her. I sing. I'm happy with everything. From the thicket, a flushed bird, the heart is open to the hunter's arrow, but a thousand arrows and her eyes the bow and the wound so soft. Were I next to God's throne, lady, and you called, I'd run to you, willingly rendered and humble, waiting your mercy and choice. I live under heavy fear of being enslaved by a desire for someone I cannot have, but I see roses in ice sheets on the roads, clear weather in a sky that's overcast, birds sing from the snowdrifts. But I have a spiteful heart toward one and wish she'd never lived, since, for a blonde count, she threw me in the road, Loba. 
I think she's a wolf. She's been taken by a count and dropped an emperor whose days were all, all were spent in spreading praise of her for all the world to hear. Who lies does not tell the truth. A false love's done me in the eye, but I have gained a better lady that way. God save the illustrious Marquis and his lovely sister, who with her loyal love has known how gently conquer, how to gently conquer me, and still more kindly, how to keep me. I have no walled castle, and my hand, land's not worth two gloves, but I am lover. And I'll read one more, which is... Paul the Blaggart, Braggart, or Pere Vidal, whichever. This one's called, <clears throat> Lord Expositor, if I had a horse, my enemies would be really up the creek. Even now they get sick when they hear my name called out, like quails hearing the cry of a sparrow hawk. They value their lives, not a denier. They know I am that savage, that fierce. And when I have my double, double hauberk on and gird on the sword Sir Guy gave me not long since, the earth shakes there where I walk, and no enemy of mine is so presumptuous that he will not yield immediately the right of way. They are that afraid to hear my step upon the high road. In boldness, Roland and Oliver are my match. In gallantry, Bernard de Montdidier, and I have found such renown in tourney that messengers come to me in batches, each with a ring of gold on a black and white silk cord, along with such greetings as rejoice my heart. Always I have the semblance of a parfait knight, which is true, and I know of love, all his mastery, and all things that pertain to being lover. I swear, you've never seen one in chamber more agreeable now with arms in hand, more sobering and more powerful, ladies who've never seen me love and fear. And if I had a horse, a good corsair, the king would live serene near Balanguir and, uh, and fall into a soft sleep undisturbed, for I'd keep peace in Provence and Montpelier and give my vow that brigands and highwaymen would not despoil Otave or the Crow. And if the king turn from the sea toward Toulouse and the count comes out with his mangy pikemen who cry all day in Gascon, Aspe Orso, I vaunt with at the first blow that falls shall be my blow. I'll lay about me so that they'll retreat at double time for sure into the town. And along with them, if they don't let the damn portcullis down, and if I reach those cuckles and slanderers who, with falsity, put down another's triumph and strike down joy in open and in secret, they'll know for sure what for real men are the blows I measure. Their bodies, were they made of iron or steel, will not be worth a goddamn peacock's feather. Fair enough from Montpelier, I send my best. And Rainier, may you love this night, for which my joy is increased by you. Thanks be to Christ. And that's Per Vidal by Paul Blackburn. Right, the, reader, the next reader is Amiel Alcalay. Thanks. Uh, I'm honored to be here. Uh, I, Paul's music got in, under my skin as a teenager, and it's never really left. And uh, I spent a lot of time in the Middle Ages, and... This is my favorite footnote uh, from Guillaume, Duke of Aquitaine. The metric of the third line of each stanza 
of this and the other two companion pieces is interesting. The ancestry of the rhythm begins its known life as the marching tune of Caesar's legions. Ecce Kaiser nunc triumphen qui subegit Gallias. Hilarius borrowed it for the church militant, and it reached Ireland where the legions had never been and became the basis of most Irish meters. The trochaic tetrameter of the Pervigilium Veneris, amnisibat inter arva vale fusus frigida, it belongs to the African school of the fourth century. In the ninth century, it is a wild plank for the slaughter at Fontenay. At the end of the 10th, the wandering scholar sang it in the Rhine Valley. After Guillaume had used it in his after-dinner entertainments, it turns up as a chamber melody in Venice and returns to the armed forces on the road to Mandalay, where the dawn comes up like thunder out of China across the bay. <laughs> That's a footnote. Um, Gil Sorrentino turned me on to that footnote. It was his favorite, too. Um, I want to read uh, a fragment from a letter uh, from Julio Cortázar to Toby Olson. And Toby would have wanted to be here tonight, but he's on a book tour. Um, and I got this from friend Margaret Carson, who passed it on to me. You see, I knew that Paul was dead. I had the feeling all the time since I got Joan and Sarah's letters. The only thing I learned from you was the date, September 13th. He was my brother, Toby. He was a wonderful friend. He was the first and most wonderful of Cronopios, who he loved, who he made live in English. Toby, he sent me a letter, his last, July 3rd, in full summer. He sent it to my small rancho in Vaucluse, where he and Joan spent two or three weeks in 69, and where he finished his translation of the Cronopios book. I was unhappy then, and he came and made me laugh and forget a lot of unpleasant things. He gave me hell with a tape of the Beatles, which he played for hours and hours until I cried for mercy. <laughs> we were so happy. We drank so much pastis. We read poetry, his and Latin American poetry, and he promised to come back in two years. Ah, Toby, it's so tough, and my English is so bad. Forgive me. I just wanted to tell you how I love my brother, how I feel now. I'd like to be there with you and Jerry and Schwerner. In a way, I'll be there. Please count me there, Toby. I send you a photocopy of Paul's last letter. He wrote a poem about the way he had to drive to get to my rancho. If you want to read that poem, I'll be there to listen to it with all his friends. I can't write no more. Forgive me, Julio. And I want to close with this uh, poem from uh, July 22, 1971, from the journals. Evening Fantasy. Traveling ahead again, in my head again, which cannot know that I'm dead again. Beshit, fathered, and McGillicuddy. Am I? People to talk with in those streets delight me. Spicer, I am not afraid. Olson is a gigantic cherub garbed in nightgown, thinking. Steve Jonas rolling happily for once in angel dust. Kerouac writing the true novel of the golden eternity on a ribbonless typewriter without paper, never revising. <laughs> Some time, finally, to talk with Dr. Williams. Though it seems I stammer, he don't. If you like it, we like it too. We clued it with you. And I, beyond all likelihood, get to that grove before Ezra, walk about saying, I must prepare, I must prepare.
Uh, the next reader, I'd like to welcome Joan Blackburn. Uh, thank you all for being here. I um, can only imagine uh, how touched and amazed Paul would be if he knew this were happening. And it's a very emotional evening for some of us. Um, so, <laughs> I'm going to read two short poems. The art. To write poems, say, is not a personal achievement. That bewilderment. On the way to work, two white butterflies and clover along the walks. To ask, to want that much of it. And the second piece is suerte. You shall not always sit in sunlight watching weeds grow out of drain pipes or burrows and shadows of burrows come up the street bringing sand. The first one of the line with a bell always with a bell. Grace is set, a term of less than a year. Another bell sounds the hours of your son, limits sounding below human voices, counts the hours of weeds, rain, darkness, all with a bell. The first one with a bell always. Thank you. We always, we always forget the next reader. Marcella Durand. Thank you, Poetry Project. Outgrowth of Paul Blackburn's original intentions. So, um, uh, not many poets wandered the way Paul Blackburn did through a poem, and in honor of that, I'm going to read the procedures. The law once decreed is still the law, saith Belshazzar, the voice through which the law passes, and he himself must follow it out, and though he knows it to be the counselor's insistence on technicalities and a low trick, he orders Daniel be thrown to the lions. It is the law. That the law stand changed and be inexorable. We do not believe it, not any longer, though large pockets of resistance still persist, even among the lobbyists themselves, in this government by pressure group, or another dirty word for consensus. Mac, I think you'll agree that the specifications for this TX100 are extravagant, certainly won't be the next word. Area code, <laughs> area code 214-563-3179, area code 413-2532-576, zip code 10003, zip code 101002. How bud we our way into spring, how the leaves fall and the wind pushes us toward winter. 
How bright the Sunday sunlight through the south windows of the Lord Jeffrey Inn at Amherst, no. The world is ordered by numbers. By the numbers, we used to say in the army, RA-4225488. I'll never forget it. And one's well-being, or to call it both ways, status, is defined by one's relationship to one or several of these other numbers. It is only when we wish to give the impression of confusion or abundance that we use the words numberless, countless. Let us pray. Prayer is a formula for order. There are 14 automobiles parked on this side of the block and 16 parked on the other common side. Numbers are spread about everywhere, though in no seeming order indeed. They are a part of the landscape. Seen from the vantage point of a man in a hotel window in a strange town, or God, it is some kind of Brownian movement and random, therefore private. One is a dangerous number and unpredictable. One man coming down the sidewalk unpredictably crosses and gets into a car on the common side of the street and drives off. It is ominous and besides reduces the total to 15. <laughs> but nature is ingenious, balances itself a moment, and a nice old couple in a ponderous powder blue impala fill the space and restore the balance. Now, take two, a much more stable number. Here come two friends, walking along together and arguing. It looks very warm and stable and friendly. Some hold that two is also a dangerous number at least under those conditions where it produces three. <laughs> it's an argument. Three young men with hands in their jacket pockets crossing a lawn against the wind do not look ominous, but three is an unstable number. It is always two against one and is not stable unless you like that situation either side. But then, each unit within a group is its own number. Some of the numbers are secret, some of them plain. I also am a number, but have no mirror, so cannot tell what number I am or what my T-O is. The landscape is full of numbers, lots of number fours. And it be the nature of things, as well as the nature of numbers, that a monster is chasing the numbers about, but catches and devours only the odd ones. If I do not know my number, perhaps no one else knows his number either, or a secret only the monsters know, for they can see us and our numbers, but not their own, unless they have powers or mirrors, though that doesn't seem to be important to them. Perhaps they have friends whom they do not eat or eat later. Perhaps their friends tell them, but they seem always to be by themselves. But that's not a bad idea, friend, to tell you. That's the advantage of two or three. It's a kind of definition. I.e., if your friends will tell you, if even your best friends will tell you and not lie about it, if you don't already know whether you're odd or not, would you tell your best friend if he were odd? Think of his despair. <laughs> well, think of mine. Then all my friends have left, driven off in one of those odd cars. I pick up the phone and dial information 411. That's reassuring. That's balanced, I tell myself. Perhaps they will know what number I am. 
I wait impatiently while it rings. I hear the sound. I say, hello there, and try to explain the situation. <laughs> and she asks me, what number do you want? <laughs> I love this poem. <laughs> and out of the window, I see a large monster coming toward the inn just walking along in the sun, enjoying the day, and I describe him to the operator who gives me the information. That's just one of the founders out catching roadrunners. Oh, there are a number, question mark, of clouds in the bright sky, but the earth is balanced. Innumerable bare and half-naked trees and countless leaves upon it, and suddenly there's no one in sight, and the sun goes in, and the day goes gray, and the question is, how to avoid the founders? Maybe. <laughs> you know, Clayton Eshelman wrote that that was a lesser poem, and I'm like, I guess I just love lesser poems. I don't know. <laughs> They're where it's at. Um, the next reader is Basil King. days there's so many damn things to get ready. Uh, um, I'm going to read a poem that um, Paul went, you know, Paul went to see Ezra Pound, I, I, I don't know how many times in Elizabeth, but after Pound got out, Paul went to visit him, and it was said that he talked to nobody. Well, he talked to pa uh, Paul, and he told Paul he was sorry for what he had done. He had had everything in England, and he fucked up and left. And um, this is a poem that Paul wrote after he saw him. 631. <clears throat> E.P. in Venice. Remember April, 1968, and I smile. Eagle is old man. We sit for a bit and smoke. Lock out of the snow. E old eagle never screams anymore. He keeps his silence. Say two words now and then. Go to the restaurant next door or to the cafe three blocks away on the canal. Sit. Look out over the lagoon. Old eagle never smoke. Never talk, never drink, but maybe a half glass of wine with dinner. Handley touches soup, hardly touches soup, remembering this, we sit for a bit and smoke, look out, steal glances at bare tree shapes, shadows. Look out of the snow, it's never noon, it's January. Thank you. Simone White, there you go. <laughs> uh, 
This is light. White flare of stone in the sun, days begun. The sea flickers the light black back pleasantly. Last flare of red on white wall, sun fall into the sea. Night thickens gradually. Days done, stars come out. My thought drifts like the sea. No grip between it and my act. I lose my luck too quickly. Cold flare on the sea. Moon has come over the hill. Still no act by which I can say there's been a man in the house all day. Star on sea leaves a track. Act is something one does if one thinks of it. And the cliff falls away up back of me as the sea flashes up in the night to touch and darken my sea. Ann Waldman. So wonderful to see so many people here and see Joan a long time. So Paul really seeded this place and I think of that all the time and I also think of the transmission he gave, you know, hauling that woolen sack dutifully here uh, week after week and his attention to oral archive, which is extraordinary and was extraordinarily visionary at the time. And uh, luckily we have those recordings, which is very, very, very important, I think, to this, the whole history. And also, I always appreciate that he once tried to get me into McSorley's. <laughs> Didn't work, but he had a lot of friends there. Anyway, not, a, not quite enough pull. I should have been in drag. <laughs> so just a few of these wonderful poems. Alphabet Song. Before men were gods, animals were themselves. No sense of immortality we can speak of. How live with one another somehow never was no problem. The god wears a jackal's head, the lion the head of a woman. The Gorgons were the man's protectors on a long journey. We carry the word with us. Come now, read. There's a new world coming. And phone call to Rutherford. It would be a mercy if you did not come see me. I have difficulty speaking. I cannot count on it. I am afraid it would be too embarrassing for me. Bill, can you still answer letters? No, my hands are tongue-tied. You have made a record in my heart. Goodbye. Very beautiful poem. The ghost of Henri Rimbaud visits Les Beaux. Excuse the pronunciation here. 
Rambaud de Vacquerat, son of a poor knight of Provence, was reported to be the lover of Madampa Beatrix, daughter of the Marquis Boniface of Montferrat. He was joglar, troubadour, and warrior, and flourished in the courts of Provence and Italy around the middle and late parts of the 12th century. Guillaume de Beau, Prince of Orange, was one of his first patrons. My lady Beatrix, bell cavalier, you walk these high stone walls with this poor Sonofa, mad knight, hand in hand, and laughed. That stairway there, you pointed, brown eyes, the top of all beauty and a sword of price. We bested one another in that joust, you giving more than you could have promised, and the stories went out and around. Roses grew by the walls, thorns there too. The Marquis, your father's visit, too short for us. The walls now are full of rooks, the ruins of this high place where hawks nested. We have walked the valleys also. Montferrat later, but first they bow. And one final. La Lisière, how we move about the wealth of friendships, too often at the edge of it, how rare the move to center where we live. Selvage, that word, each of us stands shyly at the edge of woods, fearing the valley, cherry of the sun waiting, Carl's eyes at parting, turning away, not wanting to let go. We all go the way we go, all the way. We go each his own way. We all go away. We go. And I just wanted to say, knowing him in these that early time, uh, people have spoken of this. His incredible, I think Clayton says, artistic kindness to younger writers. And I met him in '60. Six for 65, 66, and uh, felt that incredible warmth. And those were some of the happiest days of my life, just when this was all getting off the ground. So thank you, Paul. Thank you all. And next up is Bob Holman. Thank you, Anne. Thanks, everybody. Um, I'm going to read uh, St. Mark's in the Bowery, um, a poem that uh, Paul wrote in 1966, just as this uh, place was opening up. You know, the, uh, that was quite a move for, it was the beginning of nonprofit arts organizations because it was the beginning of the National Endowment for the Arts. You had some money, you had some people who were going to try to get the money. You know, although that wasn't how St. Mark's got started. Uh, it was, uh, it, this got started as a continuation of the work that, that Paul had been doing with the community here. Readings from the 10th Street coffee shop to the, um, to the Dumego, to uh, La Metro, or do I have that reversed? Um, and, 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 uh, then it was, uh, to, uh, Oh, let me, I did jot it down, didn't I? The 10th Street Coffee House, the Dumego, and then, uh, which Miss Mickey, were Mickey Ruskin's places, and then La Metro, 
um, which was right down the street here where the 13 steps is right now. And Dr. Generosity came later, and, uh, and lots more happened. But in the middle, in 1966, was uh, St. Mark's, was the Poetry Project. And uh, Paul's relationship, of course, was a very um, mixed one in that uh, while he was a guy that had had the Monday night open mics and Wednesday night poetry uh, readings that were going to become the format here, he was not the guy who was uh, hired to be the director. There had been a committee after Barry Goldwater had run the poets out of Mo Margoli's place. That's a great story. And, and, and how, did, how did Baraka wind up up in Harlem after that? That's a part of it, or Leroy Jones to Baraka. Um, what can be said, though, is that while Joel Oppenheimer was the first director here, and Joel told me that that's why he started wearing a white cowboy hat, just to uh, make sure that the conflict with uh, Paul's black cowboy hat was noted, and he said, of course, I was the second best drunk and uh, the second best womanizer, and therefore I got the job. So that's the way things happened back in the early days. But the first poetry reading goes to Paul Blackburn here. And of course, the reason why those readings exist, um, as, as Anne alluded to, is be not the project was not recording them. Paul was continuing his job, recording the readings here. And uh, this all came to light for me when uh, I, I was hired to do the oral history of the poetry project in the, in the late 70s as part of the CETA Artists Program which uh, I couldn't believe it. I got a job as a poet, and somehow it's led to continuing this work. But um, the, the recordings were out in, uh, in La Jolla at uh, San Diego with the Blackburn Archives. So that's why I went to La Jolla and recorded them and brought them back, and they're now part of the collection here. Um, so you can hear it all, thanks to Paul. Here is St. Mark's in the Bowery, and you can read through it into all of this stuff. Cargoes outbound. The supercargo speaks. Reality comes on fast or slow. One by one, we finish things with gusto and if we're lucky, end up two by two, walking along the rim of some not yet extinct volcano. David Amram on Frenchhorn takes a solo, a sort of tender pear, molto largo. When there's nothing anyone can do, reality comes on, fast or slow, cut or hack, plant the avocado. Death is no tornado. It's a crack that widens, separates us from ourselves, and things that happened to us years ago, a kind of seed split open so will grow, root and leaf up and down, to air and soil. What we cannot do, we cannot spoil.
and there is nothing anyone can do. No anticipation and no love now. Reality comes on fast or slow and fire comes up to meet us as we go. Thank Greg Weatherby. I was in uh, camping out in Robert Bastias's basement when Paul died in Cortland. So I always felt a big disconnect. Um, and I'd like to read this next poem. This is number 16 from The Selection of Heaven. Words should have been spoken at graveside. There are no true voices anymore. John Henry, you knucklehead, you hard-headed, stiff-backed, tough-minded old man. Your mouth is clenched tight for good. It is a solid line. From under your sharpened nose, around your pointed chin, above that the strong, kind, remembered, and finally closed eyes. The dead tissues under the skull that were your brain softened finally with your 88 years. Into a forgetfulness your children could relate to, could pity, could and did expiate themselves upon, so accept their own lives. For what they had become or grown to, John, you knucklehead, you bonehead, in the old photographs you are more often scowling when the others are smiling bravely into the bright sun. You quarreled with everyone you loved and were proud when your children fought you back with brain and spirit and were hurt, of course you were hurt by it and loved them. You had made them irrevocably yours, you would have said God's and that's not true. And your mouth is closed for good upon the air of this world. Your hands not folded in eternity as that cliche ridden pompous minister friend of yours who did your final service might have said had he the gift of words. <laughs> but clenched, holding your heaven to you, swollen farmer's hands that had been kinder than your mind was, clenched in eternity the rock of your mind that could not crack and open, but still clenched, dissolved under the rain of years. The head still, straight white hair still handsome, Four generations gathered around a coffin yesterday to pay what truly was respect and sometimes love, the different qualities of flesh from ruined to what renews itself each day and grows, John stood there and did you honor. Rocks wear away under the rain. Flesh is tough, the spirit resilient, tougher than flesh. They said you looked natural, and in their mouths it was comforting cliché. The words were truer than they knew. You looked stiff-backed, hard-headed, but the spirit gone, that blur of peace. Earth to earth, God be here at this graveside, not in the cut flowers the undertaker's men heaped up, 
but in the new forsythia, red maple buds, magnolia, be in the spring earth, we'll heap this grave, grow new grass over it, golden green of willows starting fresh, be in the spring earth with John, your faithful servant, where he will lie next to Hannah as he did in life, her eternal lover. Lock them forever into this hillside, facing the accushioned gulls settle on, wheel over crying, hear them in the distance. Smoke rises from between my forefinger and middle finger. Wind on this cold spring hillside sweeps it off, barely visible in the sunlight. The ashes fall upon new grass. Ashes to ashes. John, forgive the carpet of phony grass, grass too dark for the season, the undertakers spread beneath your coffin for this moment. We have seen you to this hillside. Let it be enough. Forgive the Reverend Doctor his recitation of two Edgar Guest poems yesterday. I figured I could stand it if you could. The rain of dirt and pebbles will be real enough. Fresh clods set in after you have settled. Rain fructifies, but will wear away. Rock, the committing ceremony had the dignity of its own words yesterday. Despite the use of flowers with their snapped off heads, instead of fistfuls of earth, earth, when the diggers end the job, let the first three shovelfuls of spring earth be my shovelfuls. Let it be enough. Dust to dust, consigning. I have not willed the occasion for these words which cry themselves like hunting gulls, my mouth flapping over, open. God, welcome your servant John Henry into whatever paradise he thought existed. Offer him the best accommodation that you have for such a lover of the mind. God knows he has earned it twice over. Let there be soft wind where he is. Let him hear gulls cry above the bridge and be home. Patricia Spears-Jones. I shall be short and I shall be sweet. Uh, it's autumn, and as everybody knows, they are playing autumn in New York over and over again. My favorite version is still Ella Fitzgerald and Louis Armstrong. Uh, I say this because this is a wonderful poem about autumn. Visitation one is from the cities, which is my favorite. Okay. Magic of morning, walking through the autumn of West 24th Street slowly, late to work. A schoolboy slowness along the sunburst sidewalk, cold air, sun on the walls, one sees 
on the walk the broken bits of color glistening in sun like frozen smashed Christmas tree decorations or bits of glass embedded in cement that are only paper somehow, only paper. No, sooner is that reality completely absorbed than another real thing tears its multi-limbed head in the semblance of barrels, barrels, Roll past doilies loaded with reams of printed sheets for the binder, a reminder of work. The mist full of sun, the barrels with bindings of bent under stings, split willow instead of steel. Tape binding, holding China from England to fill, filling the eye. Docks. Warehouses, ships whole, longshoremen, the wood shavings, and the hands that wrought these touched and shoved these barrels, not those that bought their transit, raked the profit in, but a cooper's dream of death, those broken staves singing themselves into the last triumphant crackling song of fire, the barrels being burnt, unused again, unused. The park is still green, but leaves have fallen already. Some raked in piles and miles of countryside stretch out, filling the eye. Heaped leaves burning at roadside, the air blue, acrid nostrils sting with the smoke of years we no longer remember except with the rare attack of the senses. Still, the tender, drooping spray from the fountain center of park has old Dixie cups, tops from ice cream cartons, burnt matches, and other rubbish to be its birds and its fish. Move along, move along, don't care, cold air, the sun, the sun, wi I wish I were far from here. Next up, Kim Lyons. Hi, everyone. When my friends and I came into New York City around 1981, um, Paul Blackburn's dedicated way of being a poet, his adventurous literary translations and scholarship, and his poems were a, an inimitable, not that we didn't try, paradigm. Um, I worked near McSorley's Pub in those years, and when I would go there for lunch, I would uh, sit and see Blackburn's book covers framed on the wall at eye level, which was validating and encouraging for a, a young poet. Blackburn was gone, but seemed present still in 1981. He was spoken of at the project and by his friends as though having just left the room. The dissolving detail of New York City in his poems was provocative and newly familiar. The conversational, stuttering, as he said, intimacy that could abruptly turn to an internal, spiritually investigative word pool the variability of his work's line, measure, and tone were then and still are utterly contemporary. Um, 
you know, we admired his translations very much. We love them from the Provencal. And um, we totally and still do cherish this um, book, Momo's Press, of um, Blackburn's translations from Lorca with, with um, Basil King's beautiful drawing of Blackburn on the cover. And in the very back, there's a sort of hidden secret sketch of Lorca by Basil King. I didn't know, and just recently found out, that Blackburn also translated Julio Cortazar and Pablo Picasso, and I found out those things at the uh, Poetry Foundation's really great biography of him. Check it out if you haven't read it. And also, of course, um, Penn Sound has some wonderful things. Meditation on the BMT. Here, at the beginning of a new season, before the new leaves burgeon, on either side of the Eastern Parkway Station, near the botanical gardens, they burn trash on the embankments, laying bare than ever our sad, civilized refuse. One coffee can without a lid, one empty pint of White Star, the label faded by rain, one empty beer can, two empty Shenley bottles, one empty condom seen from one nearly empty train, Empty, empty, empty. Repeated often enough, even the word looks funny. Man in an alley carrying a morning load already walks only by propping his head against a thick red line painted on a building wall while he goes past coffee can, beer can, condom bottles, and fire, past faded brick and pock marked cement to somewhere relieve his bladder in the sorrow of a sun-shot morning with some semblance of privacy somehow needed here. Cold, sad, winter morning in spring where it is cold while this man is high and the sun is high and there are no rules governing the award of prizes to the dead. My eyes enter poor backyards Backyards, oh, I love you, backyards. I make you my own, and you, my barren, littered embankments. Now that, you, now that you've a bit of fire to warm and cleanse you, be grateful that men still tend you, still will take your strange leaves, your strange leavings. Poor Brooklyn soil, poor American earth, poor sickening houses, poor hurricane of streets, both your subterranean and your public lives go on anyhow beneath refuse that is a refusal with alienated, uneasy, unreflective citizens who will be less unhappy, more contented and vacant if they relieve their bladders against some crappy wall or other. Thank you. Next is Mark Weiss. From the cities. The first two days. The sun comes and comes. The buildings against the sky, yellowed stone, red brick against the blue, bright metals against the blue. Today, and yesterday, our first two days of winter, are two words. Gray-blue, rain-sun. Sun comes and goes and comes against the brick walls across the street, 
the stained green cornices, the white rags, clouds move. Shadows sharpen and fade. Sound of roller skates, bicycle bells, children's voices in the street, a telephone rings somewhere. No one answers it. Words, no words. The birds sail singly or in pairs. Their shadows move against the brick and disappear. We are men and we have words. The shadow of a flock swings down across the building and up past the turn, the underwings catch light, white as the rags, blue as the sky, gray as yesterday. The sun comes and comes. The young cat sits in my window, black as hell. I'm going to read the first section of From the November Journal, Fire. Uh, this was 1969. It's in the journals. And it's a reminder of all those earlier winters of our discontent, like the one we're approaching now. From the November Journal, Fire. The end of a distance comes so early in the morning where the eye stops. Flames running, oh, their tongues up through along the roof tree of, down the coping of that church in Harlem. Driving rain, wind driving a winter rain and fire, oh, the twigs stripping outside the classroom window. We watch sexy anything, vegetable, tall and branched, yellow the fire, yellow the leaves, yellow the girl's blouse, gray the slacks, gray the day outside, gray smoke rising pierced by flames, turning blue to red to yellow which leads to a discussion of the personal character of firemen and cops, not altogether complimentary, but granting courage. A Harlem precinct had been firebombed earlier that morning. Where the eye stops, smoke and flames through the hills, trees, their branches stripping, burning the whipping rain, inscrutable cracks, what do you hear? The blind man singing on the uptown train, coins in the enameled metal cup clink. She sits back in the desk no longer thinking, a dreamy look on her face. It is so pretty, she says. Her yellow blouse sighs up and down. The rain strips the branches, drives the fire across the church roof where the eyes stop. Brenda Coldus. Hi. Great to be here tonight. Honored to be included. I'm going to read just three short poems from... Um, in, on, or about the premises, and from 
the beginning of the book um, a selection called, or section rather, called the Ale House Poems. Directions to get there. I go wherever my feet will carry me. Sometimes the compass swings one way, sometimes another. Which way is the wind blowing today? And how did that compass get in there? <laughs> the feet. <laughs> Night Cappy. All Danny Lynch be sitting below there in McSorley's having an India pail and a porter and a bit of conversation and I not joining him. What with his black eye and all? Instead, I come up direct to bed where the wife do be reading the newspaper and don't even move over for me. Yeah. <laughs> I understand what the solution is, but what be the question? He thought, it, he thought it were a wedding, but it was a funeral. So, what is a question, or who is a friend of the groom? <laughs> and the last one, the metamorphosis. I suppose. The lady reclining declines, and no mended head, no what be her inclinations. Still, eyes look out, it are the rights. And the map of Ireland, Ireland free from the center to the sea, it wails. With the north counties torn off by a passionate hand is taped to the cupboard wall in that same public room. The glasses bottom thunk down hard this late hour before closing and some indignant horse, an aroused horse, chambers to its feet about to become an automobile. <laughs> Carlos Blackburn. Thank you. That's better. <clears throat> oh, thanks, Stacy. Thanks, everyone. This is this is great. This is amazing. Um, my uh, my selection tonight is a bit is a bit morbid, um, but I was drawn to them partly because it's it's in these poems that he recognizes the the comp the collective impact of you the people in this room and, and elsewhere. They're tributes to you. And I think, I think this tribute to him needs his tributes to you. Because it wasn't all about him, and I think he was keenly aware of that. It was an important part of his personality. The list, milk, cat food, booze, tuna, cigs, 
shopping list two weeks before he died. The use faded toward January 24th, 7.38 p.m. Long corridors, elevators, the blood spot on the top of the men's urinal on the ground floor that stayed there a whole week without being cleaned. Repeating that observation every day I had to go up there was still there, may still be there. Its own shopping list from whose arm or mouth or head did that blood drop? We never know. And so the air pollution still falls despite the new administration, despite some days of sunny weather and reluctant rainstorm which comes. It's February already. Who would have thought it? Almost Lent. Or how make an epitaph short enough? In my 43rd year, some darkness drew me down. No rights, but some friends reading words I loved, mostly other men's words, only a few my own. Other friends hearing them. Regret only what was not finished, regret only the loss of afternoon sun through the windows at McSorley's. That table's wood whitened as my bones are in the fire. The cold rain of this later date. All that. Say goodbye for me. as it ends. It is not just at night when we sleep. There comes a moment in the life that we won't know. We go past it into, or it goes past us. There is a rose and purple cloud to the north <coughs> reflected in this sunset. I want you all to know I love you very much. Oh, shut up. You are a dead man for Christ's sake. Plans and chips. The three trees on the corner square stand up and call to you. The two lights on the doorway across the street, 5 a.m., shine in and are my eyes. Birds outside, cheer up, how can I say, sing, 
C, Carlos T chirrups in his crib, quiet after long screaming. I'm afraid, I'm, I'm, go I'm going to die, I'm afraid. Okay, I'm afraid. I shall hold you in Front Royale, Asheville, Nashville, Memphis, Springfield, Alamosa, Aspen even, Rawlings, Boise, Portland, other towns to the south. Our asses, our mouths, And I'll leave you in Malaga. Warm autumn, warm autumn, warm autumn night, light, cloud, a few stars. Two young men run down the street. The sound of heels is normal, like fiesta. Almost. Pushcart on the corner stopped roasting chestnuts early. Tonight, no one buying. Street conversations lasted till long after midnight. Something going forever gone and again renewed. Even the quiet man next door came home drunk and whistling. Sound of bicycle bells and starting motorbikes, intermittent. Finally, the neighborhood flickers and goes out. The street lamp on the corner is sentinel over the darkness. I have drunk my wine and worked. I have lasted it out into silence. Smoke a cigarette on the balcony, fine. Light cloud, a few stars, and the silence. World wheels its night and is warm and empty. Everything in this underworld is asleep or broken. A great white dog of silence lounges alone there in the street, ranges curb to final curb, lies down under the street lamp, attentive, silent, Then a motorbike starts up, and a bicycle bell rings. Thank you. Thank you. David Henderson.
Great to hear Carlos read at that beautiful pace. Paul's a great guy, of course. Everybody knows. And, um, he, and I like the fact he did encourage younger poets, and a lot of times, <laughs> I have to do a smile at them and, like, you know, and um, talk pleasantly about their work for a little while. I think, and he did that so well, it was completely believable. And, uh, <laughs> But I think he actually really felt that way, too. This is a poem listening to Sonny Rollins at the fire spot. And, you know, Paul lived near the fire spot. And um, uh, I tried to tell people how great it is to live near a club because you can just, like, walk around the corner. Listen, or you might be passing by and seeing some famous musician coming in or going out. Or you can just stop in and see what's happening and catch some stuff. He used to do that with the, old, with the new fire spot. The old fire spot was on 5th Street and 3rd Avenue, and um, Paul was two blocks away. So um, uh, one of his colleagues told me they, they would go to the club, and of course you couldn't, and it was a beautiful club. It was a really beat up, it was like a shack, a cottage, and, um, but it was very dark and very small, but you, you, you were immediately close to the music, even if you were in the back, even if you were outside. So Paul doesn't have a lot of poems that I have seen about jazz, but um, there was one really remarkable one, I think, called um, uh, Pop Song, something other that I'm not, uh, anyway, uh, that quotes Duke Ellington and the A Train, and I also quote some C.C. Ryder and uh, Careless Love, which I thought was an interesting, actually really interesting poem, and uh, and uh, there's a lot of reasons for it. But anyway, this is, um, I used to go to the old five spot, and you would sit there at the front row, and the, the horns would be right there, right in front of your face. And I th always thought they would be really loud, but they weren't. They weren't loud at all. It was a nice, pleasant way to hear some music. Listening to Sonny Rollins at the five spot. There will be many other nights, like be standing here with someone, some, one, someone, some, one, some, 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 one. There will be other songs, another fall, another spring, but there will never be another, 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 another. Other lips that I may kiss, but they won't thrill me like, thrill me like, like yours used to. Dream a million dreams, but how come they, when there never be enough? Thanks, Paul. That's it. Thanks to Ed, Ed Friedman for loaning me this beautiful book, The Collected
poems of Paul Blackburn. <laughs> Origins. I'm especially prepared, like any catalog of books, to sing and, oh, the matter is endless. I have been assaulted by Ezra Pound and William Carlos Williams, their work I mean, literally assaulted by Robert Creeley and so respect both the man and his work. Met Olson only once when he was looming and lounging heavily about, set up by the flu and his visitors. He would not turn away doctoring it and them with a pint of his wife's good, with the smell of his wife's good steaks and a pint of old crow, and I found respected the man, the poet, in sickness and in health. Drove again south from Gloucester by night. I am married twice and have a friend who is a seagull. I am leaving on a bus to Kingston, New York in 52 hours to see Robert Kelly at Bard. There's a piano out of my window and a violin in my head and a whole ensemble of Spanish and Arabic horses with armed riders shagging down the road at a good trot to prepare for the siege of Valencia by the Almoravides, 15th of June, 1094. Old life is hard and full as a good tit, or how do I explain these 15 women, all Paleolithic, pre-Pleistocene at least, and later all of those stolid migrations because of the ice? Or the fat man and spoiled priest, Goslam fighteth, standing, his wife beside him, Gajema the nun, looking all pert and pleased, despite the weight of the two of them, at a crossroads between Usersh and Breve, May 29th, 1193, darkened under the tree, watching the almost motionless glide of a hawk above the valley, waiting his turn to sing in the spring dusk. The man turned against himself. Dear Carol, logic is a machine, and every argument can and will be used by somebody. So don't worry. You put your money down and get change back. I am only sure of myself and not always, and who does that stick? I mean, we do it. We have to get out of the mechanism it goes. Tick, tick. And this is from around the corner. It's called Listening to Sonny Rollins at the Five Spot. There will be many other nights like be standing here with someone, some one, someone, someone, some, 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 one, there will be other songs and other fall and other spring, but there will never be another, 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 other lips that I may kiss, but they won't thrill me like, thrill me like, like yours used to. Dream a million dreams, but how can they come when there never be a nug? The Poetry Project has promoted, fostered, and inspired the reading and writing of contemporary poetry since 1966. 
Consider supporting us by checking out a reading, becoming a member, or donating at poetryproject.org. 